Today on Onward to Victory and in observance of Memorial Day, we are going to commemorate some of the Notre Dame football players who gave the last full measure while courageously serving our country in the armed forces. In addition to others, we're going to discuss Captain Stephen J. Cheney, who, after coming to Notre Dame on a football scholarship, left after just one year in 1965 to join the Army. Pull up a locker room stool, Irish fans. This is Onward to Victory. Hello, football fans, and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. My name is Alex Painter, and I am the host of this humble show, and I have a really great episode for you today to celebrate the Memorial Day holiday. Now, we're going to dive right in here in just a couple minutes, but a friendly reminder that if you haven't already, please go back and listen to episode 43, part two of the Gridiron Groundbreakers of the Irish about Tommy Yar perhaps the first Native American man on the Irish football team. It's quite an episode, I'd like to think, and it at least seems like it's being widely enjoyed. And Yar sure was an excellent player with a really awesome story and played for some really amazing Notre Dame teams. So go back and give it a listen. And reminder, if you really love the show and you are looking for ways to support it, well, here you go. I am selling t-shirts and coffee mugs. Go over to the Facebook page to check them out. Well, you don't have Facebook? Do not fret. Send the show an email at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com and I will send you a catalog. All proceeds to will support the show and also a soon-to-be-named non-profit organization. So if you have an Onward to Victory shirt, please don't hesitate to snap a photograph of yourself wearing it and send it to the show. I'd appreciate seeing it. So yes, there is the merch And then there's also the Onward to Victory Consensus All-American Program, which consists of the kind-hearted folks, both past and present, who have donated to the show to kind of keep the lights on, if you will. So in this respect, I would like to give a very warm and special thank you to my pal Mike Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, who is both a huge sponsor and supporter of this show. And also my buddy Brad Glazier in Williamsburg, Indiana who I actually had a chance to meet for the first time not too terribly long ago, and he has perhaps one of the most impressive basements you've seen if you're interested in the kinds of things that, well, if you're listening to the show that we are interested in, it is wall-to-wall Notre Dame stuff, and it is incredible. So thanks, Brad. Thanks, Michael. I really, really appreciate you guys' support. I think the show does really important work, and if you'd like to join the Onward to Victory Consensus All-American Squad, simply visit paypal.me slash Onward to Victory or patreon.com slash Onward to Victory podcast to make a donation, and words can't express just how thankful I am, but I will also send you some swag in the mail as well. All right, so let's discuss Memorial Day a bit here before we launch into the subjects of the show. So first, there's really no clear consensus when and where Memorial Day was first celebrated. It kind of began in a smattering of locations, both north and south, to commemorate and mourn those who had been killed in the American Civil War. 
So in 1868, just three short years after the American Civil War ended, the holiday became a federal one, and it was originally known as Decoration Day. And from 1868 through 1970, it was always celebrated on May 30th. And since 1971, it has been the final Monday of May. The day, again, is to honor and mourn those who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces across all United States history. Now, this is most obviously an important holiday, but to put a number on it, as of this recording, more than 1.3 million Americans have died while serving in the military. So the University of Notre Dame, of course, founded in 1842, very intimately intersects with nearly every major event and movement in American history. And if that weren't the case, I suppose I probably wouldn't be sitting here doing this show. The football team is wonderful, of course, but it's truly placing it in historical context that is most fascinating. As a show, we have touched on a number of major wars a number of times over the last couple years here, but I've not done a Memorial Day-themed episode. Until today, that is. I'm going to work our way up to the main subject of this episode chronologically, but I wanted to make sure we did all the subject matter justice here. So perhaps many of you are aware of the what is now a four-part series the show here has produced called Notre Dame and the Civil War. If you haven't listened to that, I'd strongly recommend you go back and listen to it. They're really, really interesting. But during the first part, called The Student-Turned-Soldier, we discussed a teenager named Frank Baldwin's experience fighting for the North during the first couple years of the fighting. The Elkhart, Indiana native was a student at Notre Dame in 1860 and 1861 before leaving to fight with the 23rd Illinois. He was captured at the Battle of Lexington in Missouri in September of 1861, and he was released, and he ended up making his way back home to Elkhart. Against his parents' wishes, he re-enlisted in the Army, this time with the 44th Indiana Infantry, and he was wounded in the head at the Battle of Shiloh in April 1862. He rose to the rank of lieutenant by late 1862, but he was killed at the Battle of Stones River on New Year's Eve, 1862. Lieutenant Baldwin was only 18 years old. Today, you can visit the Elkhart Soldiers and Sailors Monument, which commemorates Baldwin, among many others, at the Rice Cemetery in Elkhart. Notre Dame first began with an active Continental Cadet Corps on campus, back in 1858. In fact, at this time, it was actually a required part of the academic experience, spending some time out on the drill and demonstration fields, that is. One of the earliest recorded celebrations of Memorial Day on Notre Dame's campus was in 1896, 125 years ago. A custom began that year that the graduating class of seniors would dedicate a new flag. In 1912, the program was even more robust. After a mass to honor those soldiers who had died in service, the cadets on campus would do a demonstration in front of Washington Hall. The governor's Memorial Day proclamation was read, a song was sung, and the Gettysburg Address was also delivered by one of the students. 
Afterwards, Notre Dame helped shuttle the veterans to local cemeteries where they could honor and decorate the final resting places of their former comrades. These accounts are all according to issues of the South Bend Tribune. Today, if you visit Notre Dame's campus, well, it's pretty hard to miss the Basilica of the Sacred Heart Cathedral. Head to that area of campus known as the God Quad, and you will not only be able to take in the Basilica, but of course the Golden Dome, as well as some of the most historic residence halls on campus. Anyway, most are familiar with the Basilica and its very famous eastern entrance. Yes, I am talking about the God Country Notre Dame Doorway, if you will. Formerly called, actually, the World War I Memorial Door. Needless to say, that phrase in particular has kind of grown a life of its own across the decades. It's become a rallying cry for alumni and Subway alumni alike. Sometimes it's even shortened to just GCND. That door, however, was commemorated to mourn and celebrate the 56 Notre Dame students or alumni who sacrificed their lives during World War I. The 56 names are listed on a couple tablets on both sides of the door. Now, if you already knew all of that, well, good. Here's a couple more interesting facts about the doorway. So it was commemorated on Memorial Day in 1924, and it was actually originally going to have the names of all 2,500 Notre Dame students, alumni, and faculty who served in World War I, but leadership decided to only keep the names of those who perished. So the doorway is absolutely beautiful. But here is one thing I noticed for the very first time not too terribly long ago. So above the door are two statues, St. Joan of Arc and St. Michael the Archangel, which, aside from just being really appropriate, it feels for this doorway, are really neat. But while I was looking up when those statues were dedicated, 1944, by the way, I noticed for the very first time that above where you read God Country Notre Dame, and between the two statues reads, Our Gallant Dead, which pairs with the phrase, In Glory Everlasting, which can be seen just below the God Country Notre Dame. So, reading it all together, Our Gallant Dead, In Glory Everlasting, God Country Notre Dame. I don't know how, but I had never seen or noticed the phrase, Our Gallant Dead. Of course, a firm and somber reminder of what day the door was dedicated and whom the door is dedicated for. Yet another must-see on campus is one I don't think we have ever touched on during the show, and that is the Clark Memorial Fountain, to which some call the Notre Dame Stonehenge, due to its likeness to, you guessed it, the Stonehenge. But the next time you go to campus, if you haven't seen the Clark Memorial Fountain, add it to the list of things you must see. So the memorial is just west of the Hesburgh Library. So perhaps if some of you are familiar with uh, First Down Moses, just keep going. It's on that side of the library. But the fountain was dedicated in 1986 to memorialize the approximately 500 Notre Dame alumni who perished in World War II, the Korean War, in the Vietnam War. So I guess in a sense, think of it as picking up where the World War I memorial door on the Basilica kind of left off. This plaque on the memorial, dedicated by Father Ted Hesburgh in 1986, reads, quote, About 500 Notre Dame alumni gave their lives for their country 
and for peace in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. In memorializing them, we join our prayers to their supreme sacrifice as we inscribe this column, Pro Patria at Pace, for country and peace. This is our prayer that all living Notre Dame men and women dedicate themselves to the service of their country and world peace, end quote. All right, well, I hope my Latin was correct there, but regardless, if you haven't seen the Clark Memorial Fountain, please make, a, make sure it's on your list for your next visit to campus. We have touched on Notre Dame during World War II a number of times during the show. And not only was it an incredibly formative time in Notre Dame's history, but some of the very best athletes graced the gridiron at this time for the Irish. In my opinion, sometimes we look at warfare and conflict in a historical sense, and we tend to think of it more as a synchronized timeline. It's what psychologists call the hindsight bias. Or in other words, when folks tend to look at historical events as having a more predictable ending, because, well, we already know how the story ends, which I have got to believe is why more kids don't like history class. They might have a sense of they already know what's gonna, how these things end. But World War II is a shining example of this. We know that once the Americans enter the war on the Allied side in late 1941, it would be less than four years before the Axis powers, that is Germany, Japan, and Italy, are defeated. We know that the conflict ends in 1945. But that's why the hindsight bias has also been called the, quote, knew-it-all-along phenomenon. Why am I bringing this up? Well, often looking at warfare throughout history, we tend to look at it from a 30,000 feet in the air perspective. Again, in the sense that we know how conflicts end. Sometimes we even forget the costs. So let me zero in on the human cost of the conflict to just one campus community today of all days on Memorial Day, the most appropriate one. One campus community, that's the University of Notre Dame. In World War II, according to a campus bulletin released on May 3, 1945, it was reported that 223 Notre Dame students, alumni, or faculty had been killed in the conflict. At the time, another 36 were missing and 31 were captured. Hundreds of others were wounded. Of course, we remember all of those who died in the line of duty. But for the specific purposes of this podcast, it is those 223 that we remember today. Some of those killed in the line of duty during World War II were former Notre Dame football players, including Jack Shavigny. Well, better known as Chevy, from Hammond, Indiana. Chevy, who played varsity football at Notre Dame from 1926 to 1928, was in the locker room for Coach Rockney's famous win one for the Gipper speech against Army. In fact, it was Chevy who scored the game-tying touchdown in that game, a stunning 12-6 upset victory for Notre Dame. And he hollered, quote, and that one's for the Gipper as he crossed the goal line. Chevy was later named head coach of the University of Texas' football team, and he enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1943 at age 36. He was soon commissioned a lieutenant. 
Chevy was killed on February 19, 1945, the first day of the Iwo Jima landing, as his division was tasked with taking Red Beach 1 and Red Beach 2. In 1979, he was inducted in the Indiana Football Hall of Fame, which happens to be here in Richmond, Indiana, where the show is produced. Yet another football player who paid the ultimate sacrifice was captain of the 1942 Notre Dame football squad. That was Irish George Murphy. Irish George, who played end, was a favorite target of eventual Heisman Trophy winner Angelo Bertelli. Murphy enlisted in the Marine Corps, leaving a pregnant wife stateside. He would also be eventually promoted to the rank of lieutenant. On May 15, 1945, at the Battle of Sugarloaf Hill during the Okinawa Campaign, Irish George was struck by an artillery fragment and killed as he paused to help and tend to a fellow Marine who was wounded. A story was carried in the U.S. newspapers shared that Murphy was killed making multiple trips to help carry wounded to an aid station before he was hit. It added, quote, Irish George staggered to his feet, aimed over the hill, and emptied his pistol in the direction of the enemy. Then he fell dead, end quote. Of the 60 men in Murphy's platoon that day, 49 were either killed or wounded. Sadly, Murphy never saw his daughter. Hercules Barolos, known around campus as Herc or Herky, was, like Chevigny, a Hammond, Indiana native. Herc was a guard on the football team and a member of Hammond High School's 1937 state championship team. Just as his name suggests, Hercules was strong as hell. In addition to playing four years of football at Notre Dame, he was also a star shot putter on the track and field team before graduating in 1942. For a short time, he was actually president of Notre Dame's Monogram Club, but he soon enlisted in the Navy as a pilot, also rising to the rank of lieutenant. On March 31, 1944, his plane went down over the Southwest Pacific, and Herky was declared missing. According to the newspapers, his mother actually suffered a heart attack when she heard about the news that he had gone missing. Sadly, about two weeks later, the Navy found his body floating in the Pacific. It's during the Memorial Day holiday that we again remember all of those who made the final sacrifice. The final person I would like to bring attention to was named Stephen J. Cheney. Of the four, Cheney may be the least recognizable name. But Cheney was born on January 26, 1946, in Marion, Ohio, not too terribly long after the conclusion of World War II, of course. Now, Marion, Ohio is technically north-central Ohio, so think of it being situated approximately halfway between Columbus and Cleveland. Marion is a mid-sized city today of about 35,000, which is kind of in the same neighborhood of what it was when Cheney was born. 
I believe that actually may be the city that has a whirlpool plant. But anywho, while attending Marion Catholic High School, coincidentally also nicknamed the Irish, Chaney was a standout football player, a four-year starter, and he served as team captain as a senior and was named All-State in 1963 that same year. He stood about six feet tall and tipped the scales at 205 pounds and ran a quick yet bruising brand of fullback. He also played three years of basketball and ran track for his high school as well, and he thrived in those sports. In addition to his athletic exploits, he seemed like a really well-rounded student and person. I was able to find where he was president of his class, vice president of the key club, a finalist in the county science fair as a junior, and was nominated for Teenager of the Month, a countywide award, as a senior. He was offered a scholarship to Notre Dame in early 1964, and he quickly accepted the offer. His athletic director, a gentleman by the name of Max Ross, told the local Marion Star newspaper that, quote, This boy is one of the finest I've ever had the pleasure of coaching, and his skill has spoken for itself on the field. If this school ever had a product with promise to succeed, I think it's Steve Cheney. He wanted to go to Notre Dame, and the school wanted him. I think we're going to hear from him as a footballer again, end quote. But interestingly, he actually did surprise many of those close to him by accepting a football scholarship to play at Notre Dame. Many had apparently thought he would take an appointment at West Point. But after only one year at Notre Dame and with conflict mushrooming in Vietnam, he felt called to serve. Much to the disappointment of Coach Eric Parsegian, and reputedly against the advice of teammate Rocky Blyer, who himself would serve gallantly in Vietnam, Cheney enlisted in the Army as a private in 1965. According to the Marion Star, quote, Steve went on to become an outstanding officer. He was recognized as a natural leader and possessed the limitless potential to ascend to the highest levels of leadership, end quote. After one tour of duty in Vietnam, now Captain Cheney was really given two options. First, he could have continued his football career at Notre Dame. His scholarship was still awaiting him. And the second, well, volunteer for another tour of duty. Though he confided in his parents that he wished to return to Notre Dame, Cheney saw what he felt was, according to an article from the American Catholic, quote, a deterioration of the command structure, and he felt that a younger leader like himself might help support morale, end quote. So, Cheney chose to re-up for another tour of duty in Vietnam. He soon became a member of the 5th Special Forces Unit for his second tour of duty. In late January of 1969, he received a commendation, the Bronze Star Medal for Meritus Service and the, for the totality of his leadership skills. He also received the Army Commendation Medal, quote, for his leadership and quick action during efforts to extinguish a warehouse fire caused by an enemy rocket attack. 
personally leading the removal of critical equipment from the burning warehouse, stopping only when forced to by intense heat and the threat of exploding ordnance, end quote. Sure does sound like our man. But sadly, on September 23, 1969, while Cheney was leading a recon patrol in Laos, his team located an enemy force much larger than his own. During the ensuing firefight, Cheney, though mortally wounded himself from shrapnel wounds, requested extraction for his team as well as air support to cover their withdrawal. Although weak and close to death himself, Cheney nevertheless remained in control of the situation to assure his team members received the medical care they needed, putting their needs above his own. Though mortally wounded, he was the last to be loaded on the helicopters and evacuated. And sadly, Cheney succumbed to his wounds before he was able to reach a rear medical facility. For his bravery, even in the face of certain death, he was awarded a Silver Star posthumously, among a number of other citations. In Marion, Ohio today, the VFW post bears his name. He was inducted to the Ohio Military Hall of Fame in May of 2013. Now, even though Cheney never saw any varsity time at Notre Dame, his story, when thinking in the grand scheme of resolve, purpose, and sacrifice, is an important one to the university and the football team's story. All right, well, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. And at the risk of sounding a little bit preachy, here we go. The Memorial Day is, of course, a wonderful time to honor the men and women who have sacrificed their lives for our country. I'd be remiss not to say that there are also 364 other days in the year as well. For the purpose of this podcast, let's not forget the names of those we discussed and the hundreds of others, and just how much they mean to the story of Notre Dame and to our beloved football program. And I'll be right back. All right, thank you all for tuning into this episode once again. I hope you really, really enjoyed it, and it was quite a bit of fun, although somber, of course, at times to put together. But it was a necessary episode, again, given the importance of the subject matter to not just the history of Notre Dame, but also to the football program. Now, as this episode is being recorded right now, we are exactly 104 days from kickoff 
Hey, and I tell you what, the last 100 days, they always go so quick. So we're getting there, folks. September 5th at Florida State down in Tallahassee. That is how we are going to be kicking off the 2021 season. Now, something of interest that was released here lately is that CBS Sports released its ranking of the 65 best Power 5 head coaches in college football. And Brian Kelly was ranked 5th by the news outlet. Now, long-time listeners of the show know that I am not among the ranks of the Brian Kelly haters. In fact, I have a deep appreciation for what he has done for Notre Dame football in the last decade in particular. But here is what CBS Sports wrote about Kelly. Quote, There was a time when fans could complain that Notre Dame was constantly overrated, and they were right. Thanks to Kelly, it's no longer the case. Kelly has led the Irish to two college football playoff berths in the last three years, and he has also led them to an ACC championship game in their only season as a member of the conference. There's still a bit of a gap between the Irish and the elite programs, but that gap seems to grow slightly with each passing season. End quote. Could not agree more with this assessment. Yes, I think most people who complain about Brian Kelly are looking at, you know, the Clemson and the Alabama as kind of the gold standard and where we measure up to that. And you know what? We're a lot closer to that standard than we were certainly during the Charlie Wise and Ty Willingham eras. And we are getting there, folks. I think we're seeing it. And Kelly and the Notre Dame squad have gone 43 and eight over the last four seasons. So I think what most people kind of magnify is, of course, Notre Dame's 2-9 and nine record against Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Oklahoma. Either way, and you know, that's a fair critique, but these guys are close. They're close, and we're getting closer. And I always say I'm going to do a recruiting episode, and it never ends up panning out where I end up doing like a full episode just on recruiting. I always kind of just talk about it intermittently throughout, but the upcoming class is looking incredibly strong among the top in the country. So I think there's a bright future, a bright future for the program. And I think a lot of it and a lot of the success that we have enjoyed over the last half decade in particular is due to Brian Kelly. All right, it's probably about time for me to sign off. Again, I hope you really enjoyed this episode, and I'd like to thank the Onward to Victory Consensus All-Americans, Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, and Brad Glazier of Williamsburg, Indiana. And also thank you to Joseph Rakish, whose song Knut Rockney serves as the show's theme song. If you don't have it on your Irish pregame playlist, well, go put it on there. What are you waiting for? And if you don't have a pregame Irish playlist... Well, I'd strongly recommend you jump over to Spotify and make you a Irish pregame playlist. But in all seriousness, I do appreciate you all's time listening to this. This is a very unique show, particularly for a football podcast, and it couldn't continue without, well, you folks actually listening. So thank you all very, very much. I really appreciate it, and I will sign off. This has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish.